Well, welcome back to our podcast series, Counting the Cost. This is the third podcast in this series, and uh, today we're going to be talking about role of parents in raising an elite athlete. Now, this is going to be, we've already been talking a little bit and setting this up, but we this is going to be a robust discussion because we, <laughs> we all have different perspectives on this topic and are very passionate about this topic, so uh, I would... I expect this to be a very robust discussion. Uh, there's a lot to unpack uh, in this podcast, so I want to I want to say that it's going to be impossible for us all to do that during this episode of our podcast. So I want to encourage you to be able to read uh, several chapters in our book that that really digs in much deeper than we're able to today. Again, the book is called "Counting the Cost: Raising and Coaching Elite Athletes." I encourage you to go on. Uh, uh, to find that book and, and read it. But let's talk a little bit about the role of parents in raising an elite athlete. Again, I'm here with Dr. Holly Haynes and Dr. Rick Fowler. Uh, I'm Stacy Hall. And we're going to, uh, I'm going to start off uh, just piggybacking a little bit what I started out uh, in our book as far as the role of the parents. And I think any of the parents that are listening to this podcast would agree that uh, we love our kids. And we're willing to make great sacrifices uh, for them so that they can experience all the joy and success that they can in any chosen path, especially in, in, in their sporting um, uh, path. And, and parenting, as we all know, as parents, in general can be very difficult. And we serve in a lot of different roles. I mean, we're, we're toggling back and forth between love uh, loving our kids and disciplining our kids, encouraging them, but yet being accountable, uh, teaching them to be accountable. We're uh, trying to be generous, but we also want to teach them to have financial responsibility. Uh, and, you know, even doing more so with elite athletes comes additional sets of expectations and challenges that we're asked to serve in different times, the role of a coach, the role of a nutritionist, the role of an athletic trainer, a sports psychologist, a fundraiser, and every parent out there knows a taxi driver. So at times it can be very, very challenging to know exactly what role should we be playing as parents at what time? Because we're toggling back and forth on all these different roles. So, you know, I would like to answer the question that in my belief, and we'll, we'll kick this around a little bit, my belief is the greatest role as parents that we can play is to love unconditionally. Number one, love, just as, as Christ loves us, love unconditionally. Proverbs 22, 6 reads, train up, in the child, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, I think having a, a foundational relationship with Jesus Christ uh, it, it will be the most profound thing a parent can teach their child. And then we get into all the other stuff. Because without that training, without that basis of relationship with Jesus Christ, the other stuff is just so much more difficult. It, it can be wrought with all kinds of issues. I think a child will be, a, a, a athlete in this example, will be much more likely to navigate the various issues that come along with being an elite athlete if they have that basis. Uh, Rick, what are your thoughts on that? That's true. Uh, uh, when you read about Proverbs 22.6, uh, 
the word train in the Hebrew text there means to teach according to the bent of the child. And I think it's so important to understand, parents need to understand that every child is different and, you, and they can't parent every kid the same way. And some, some kids, if there are if some parents who have kids, if, if their athlete is in sport, you know, you have to uh, say, well, according to what bent, I might have to do one child to train them different than another child and, and so forth. So we have to keep that. And so effective parenting mandates the caregivers teach, discipline, encourage each child and according to their unique talents and temperament. But uh, I do feel that the relationship, I think I like what you had to say, Stacy, about love unconditionally. Um, because I have counseled numerous athletes over the years mm. will come and tell me that my parents did not love me unconditionally. They only loved me if I mm-hmm. did this or this. And I have a, mm-hmm. I remember one pro athlete to use a star pitcher for a major league baseball team come in and just droop it and he just says, my dad never told me he loved me just because I was me. And he said, he said he was pitching a game and, and, uh, and the pros, and he had a no-hitter going into the ninth inning, and he lost one to nothing, and his dad called him a loser. I mean, that's the kind that's of thing tough. that just, he says, mm. I, if I know my dad's in the stands, I can't pitch well. And so those are the kind of things that as sports psychologists we're dealing with is helping parents before they get to the pros. I mean, when they're little is they have to set the stage for uh, how that child is going to respond and... Uh, and how they can best teach the athlete what they need to teach it, what that needs to be inculcated into them, before, without uh, feeling that my self-esteem and my my uh, how I view myself is tied to that relationship. Yeah, I think um, as I'm listening to this, Stacy, your piece on loving unconditionally is really important. And I think this is something that the three of us have talked about, though off outside of this podcast is the notion that a lot of parents try to live vicariously mm-hmm. through their children. And so they're not thinking about the child at all. They're thinking about how this is going to reflect on them. Um, and I think we're all sometimes guilty of this as parents, of being more invested in the activity than sometimes the child is because we're not, we take our eyes off and emotions the goal. Can, and emotions can, yes. can take us off point too. Oh, absolutely. And none of us are perfect because we've let our emotions, I'm sure, yeah. get the best of sometimes as well. Yes. It's hard. It is. It is. And it's, and it's interesting because your words reminded me of something my husband said when we were dealing with a particular situation. But I'll, I'll go into it in just a second. Um, but the notion that we're not raising athletes. Right. Even if you want elite athletes, you're not raising an athlete. You're raising a young person that you want to be a productive member of society. In our case, we want them to be young Christian uh, men and women who go out into the world. Right. Who have impact in the world for Christ. And so that's our ultimate goal for our children. And if by chance they should have some success in other places, that's what we want. So they thinking more so there. And that doesn't say that they won't have high standards because actually, uh, biblically, they can have very high standards, right? They have mottos and verses that they use uh, which support them in that space, but teaching them first there and then understanding. Yeah. Love comes first and then the teaching comes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when, when it's in reverse where yeah. I teach first, 
the child's not going to get the message that they're loved. It's the same thing with coaching. You know, if you if you're a student athlete or an athlete and you've got a coach, you know you're going to respond better to a coach that you believe loves you, mm-hmm. cares about you, Absolutely. genuinely. Mm-hmm. If that coach has selfish motives or motives that do not are not congruent with your own, you're not going to run through a wall for that person. Yeah. But if you know that person is trying to bring out the best of, uh, in you to help you, not them, you, you're going to run through a wall for them. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, again, foundationally it starts with being a child of, of Christ, uh, parents demonstrating Christ's love unconditionally. And then as a parent, I think it becomes, once you have those, I do think it becomes providing opportunities, providing resources Mm -hmm. for the budding elite athlete to become an elite athlete. You can do that through different different ways, whether it's camps, clinics, uh, uh, private coaching, um, different types of instruction, different types of of competitions. uh, And we can talk more more about that. But as far as the, the parent's role, Sometimes I have found the most difficult thing for me is keeping my mouth shut. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes you just, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, I'm, a, I'm a parent of a Division One college golfer. And, you know, we've, I would be dishonest if, and disingenuous if I, if I didn't say that her growth into an elite athlete has corresponded with my need to grow as a parent. Oh, for you. I mean, they're, they happen together. Mm-hmm. So parents, any parent or, or, or future uh, sports psychologists that are listening to this, you know, there is a maturation process to all of this, not just for the budding elite athlete, but also for the budding parent of an elite athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that the one thing that, that while you're talking there, I feel it's important that a sports uh, psychologist or counselor brings up or keeps up his or her eyes open to this. And the fact is that if a family has an elite athlete and they have two other kids and they're not elite yes. athletes, mm-hmm. how do how do they make all equal? Because if the other two uh, kids, let's say, grow up thinking, well, I'm, I'm second or third on this because my brother is an all pro golfer, so to speak. That's the problem. I think you just answered your question, though, and I'm glad you brought this up because I, they, that that's not their identity. I think it goes back to their identity. Yeah. Right. My son is 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 not going to be a, a, a college ball player. He's very very athletic, but he's just not at that level and doesn't have a desire to be at that level. But he's my son. My daughter, who is an elite, who is an elite athlete, she's my daughter. I don't consider her a golfer. I don't consider her an elite athlete. She is my daughter. He is my son. They are equal. And that's so, that's where parents get off track, I think, a lot of times. And I've had many families come in where the kids, when I do group family therapy, they would say, well, I'm just playing the role of fiddle here. I'm just no good, you know, because my son, my brother has got all the accolades. We have to go every weekend to see him play, but I, I, I have to go there and I we, can't do my own thing. Yeah, we see this, you know, so having a child who is in an MLS academy system, and actually two of our kids, 
have been in this MLS Academy system, two very different experiences in it. One decided professional play was not for him. The other is more motivated for professional play. But we mingle with a lot of families who have children who actually are in the same sport and or are in different sports. And we see some really great families who balance that well, but then we see the kids who are sitting on the sidelines who don't want to be there. And you wonder if the parents are also recognizing this and taking the time to spend time with that kid who's not the the athlete. And even in our our own home, our son's uh, college application essay started, you know, with the whole, I'm in between my perfect sister and prodigy brother, right? (laughs) So the idea that here, here he had these other two who seemingly had these wonderful um, entities and careers. And so it, it caused us to rethink and say to him, hey, have fun with your senior year. Enjoy. We'll be there to uh, support you. And at times we were successful with it. But we also did something really interesting is that we said, if you want to come to your brother's games, you can come to your there brother's you games. You're not, you don't have to be there. And he comes you know, when he wants to support and see what's going on. Thing. But it's not something that we force you yeah. to do. Yeah. Too many kids are forced to forced be to. in the shadow and parents don't understand that they can create resentment towards the parents sure. as well as resentment towards the other sibling. Yeah. And you really want them totally to, right. you know, they're, they're, they have their siblings. They may not always have us, but they have yeah. their siblings. But I think part of that, too, is, and that's a great point, totally agree. But in that, I think you have to balance, parents mm-hmm. need to balance mm-hmm. time. They do. You know, if you're at, uh, perfect example. So when my daughter was coming up through um, junior golf tours, I mean, that's a lot of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that's a mm-hmm. lot of time. Right. And there's a lot of overnight trips right. uh, mm-hmm. for a lot of these tours. So I was away from the rest of my family. I knew that I have to balance that. Yeah. So even though my son may not be in golf tournaments or basketball tournaments or whatever, I needed to spend that time with him to balance it out. So we would go hiking. We would go camping. We'd go fishing. Things that he was interested in. There, even at times, I would play <clears throat> video games, which I'm not a video game. I don't like video games. I don't like playing. But they were important to him. And in yeah. order for me to show that I love him as equally as much as my daughter, uh, and that he, you know, I didn't. My love was not predicated on the success mm-hmm. in athletics. Mm-hmm. You know, I spent time with video games because mm-hmm. it was important to him. So mm-hmm. again, it, it just it always goes back to the very first thing we talked about: mm-hmm. unconditional love. love. Mm-hmm. Right, right. But since you're on that topic of you're playing video games, something that's not sport-like, <laughs> I think this would be a good time also to talk about this other issue that parents seem to have in their extreme investment in their children. Uh, to the point of they're reliving their own lives, there is this push two things to overtrain and to not rest and, or to allow for other activities. So, and I say that in terms of, again, our youngest, um, you know, has had a different, a little slightly different trajectory. All our kids uh, have been involved in sports, but what we can easily get caught up in is the overtraining. So, mm-hmm. you know, going to training, mandated training four days right. a week mm-hmm. for three hours a day, probably four hours in terms of travel mm-hmm. time, but then on Fridays also going into training or days when yeah. there's no training. And so the issue of rest, but the issue of other activities. And so what's interesting is that he's recently um, gotten interested in chess. And so 
He would mm-hmm. take his chessboard with him. He takes them on overnight trips. He takes them everywhere. And then wow. he comes home from practice, and the first thing he wants to do is play chess. Wow. And at first, <laughs> it's just like, I'm a terrible chess player. <laughs> Go ask your dad to play chess, right? <laughs> Go get your dad to play chess. I can't play chess. Um, <laughs> I'll play in checkers. And, and actually, sometimes he comes and he'll bring out the checkers board. But chess was his his thing. And so it's taking the time to say, let's play chess instead of kicking the ball against the wall for, you know, 10 times. Or I'm punishing you with your sport because of so-and-so. I didn't like practice or I didn't like this. It's shutting it off and doing something differently. And I think that that is something that we as parents of elite athletes do have a problem with is when to shut down the training and when to move our kids in the other. And they're hyper-focused just in one area. Mm -hmm. Uh, Recent studies have shown that uh, the elite athletes, as they grow up, if they've had experience in various things, like Mm -hmm. Wayne Gretzky said, one of the videos I saw, he he would play this sport here and this sport here and this Mm -hmm. sport here because Mm -hmm. by doing so, you're learning some skill set in other areas that can help you in your game. Right. But nowadays, you're locked in to a sport like in five years old, <laughs> and and you don't play anything else. So there's a lot of uh, issues of, uh, of difficulty uh, parenting that child. I, I see, just going back to what Holly said earlier, and, and I kind of see the overtraining piece as uh, two different scenarios. One, there's overtraining that stems from the athlete's desire to just keep grinding and keep working and they love it, they're passionate about it and they just wanna keep going and going and going almost to their own detriment and sometimes to their own detriment versus the second part of it, which could be, I would say, call it Mm parent-induced, meaning the parent pushes them. I've seen both sides. Mm -hmm. I've seen uh, athletes, elite athletes that, that love it and are so competitive and they have this super internal drive that they're working out all the time. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that, in those situations, it's the parent's role to dial it back. Say, mm-hmm. listen, you're not working out today. Mm-hmm. You're not going to do this. You Maybe you can cross-train today. Maybe you, uh, today's recovery day. Maybe it's just light stretching today. Right. Maybe it's, you know, it's the parent's job because of the unconditional yeah. love, dial them back. Mm-hmm. Because if they overuse muscles, tendons, ligaments, then they're, they're more susceptible to injuries. They're also going to be more susceptible to burnout. We talk about burnout extensively in our book, uh, which I want to, again, direct folks to. But then the peer-induced, I've seen this a lot as well, where, whereas... And it, what we talked about much earlier is sometimes parents living vicariously through their through their child. Maybe the parents like the attention that comes with being in these elite travel squads, which I've seen that. Yeah. It's a status thing. My child plays in this league. Mm-hmm. My child does this, whatever. Uh, or maybe it's because they think cognitively, they just believe that they have a better likelihood of getting a college scholarship. And no matter the no matter the monetary cost it takes to do all this stuff to get a college scholarship, their goal nonetheless is on a college scholarship. So they outwork these kids. Yeah. Like I've seen mm-hmm. kids play spring baseball for their school at the same time, the same time <laughs> playing in a travel baseball league mm-hmm. 
Then they go immediately with no time off. I've seen them play in two different leagues during the summer right. and immediately go into fall league. Mm-hmm. Wow. And their arms, by the time they get to college, their shot. arms are just shot. Yeah. And it's, I'm not questioning the parents' love for the child. Right. What I'm questioning is whether maybe it's, it's, you just don't know that you're hurting the child, but constantly grinding constant work is not always beneficial you need periods of rest well i think that's also recovery yeah and that's also we cover this in a number of ways in Mm -hmm. the book but i think sometimes misreading the literature for parents so people read uh you know in outliers malcolm gladwell's outliers 20,000 10 sorry 10,000 hours is what you need to become an expert and so they're like oh my kid is going to get this 10,000 hours, right? Or they dismiss the overtraining that their child is doing. Their very intrinsically motivated child is, oh, this is what this is what they're supposed to be doing. They're going to have a leg up on others anyway, right? So it's it gives the child. But deliberate practice is something that came out of Malcolm Gladwell's text. Deliberate practice, as well as the word you used earlier, cross-training. These two are very important, but a lot of parents just think, if my kid can do this over and over again, then they're going to be a star. (laughs) And that is not the case. We see it in the soccer world a lot. I mean, kids in the soccer world will train the same drills over and over and over again. And it's like they're little hamsters in the wheel when they get on the field because they may do one thing really well, but they don't have the creativity. They don't have anything else that's going to make them an elite player. And I think that's, that's probably the biggest issue is that Parents do also have this little status piece. Again, soccer world. In soccer world, one of the complaints has been that we have so many elite leagues. You can play in, in, in or elite or next, right? You have MLS next. You have um, uh, ECNL elite clubs, National League. There's a new elite club. There's an elite platform coming every single time. And somebody asked the question, how can we have so many elite kids? Well, How can not, all it's these kids be elite? It's a financial model. <laughs> right. Let's not fool let's not <laughs> ourselves. A lot of this stuff, and the same thing in golf, it's, it's just a financial, financial model. model. Mm-hmm. And when you think about we're not going to get into it in this series, this uh, particular podcast, but when we start talking about the monetary cost of, of, of raising elite athletes, you can really see the financial model that a lot of this stuff is, is built on. Right. Um, and it's really, it's really eye-opening. But I... I I just think we're over, over-programming, even for elite athletes. Mm-hmm. Let me let me let me get back and, and, and say this: you cannot be an elite athlete. You cannot be without hard work. Right. You cannot be an elite right. athlete mm-hmm. without a high level of commitment and time and resources and energy and all those things. But at the same time, there's a tipping point mm-hmm. when you're working so hard, so long, so often that then. You get that bell curve that your 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 results are starting to go down mm-hmm. right. because you're o- overused, right. overtraining, all that stuff. You're getting negative right. results, and it's the parent's responsibility to assist the child, the, the athlete, their child, in making sure they don't get to the top of that bell curve and go start yeah. getting negative. And, and, the, and going down that bell curve, like you said, is we use the word you used the word earlier, uh, burnout. Yeah. And the definition of burnout is those you love or things you love start to become your enemy. Mm-hmm. And so you look at it from that perspective, 
all of a sudden it's, why am I in this sport? You know, they're, they're justifying get backing off of the sport because they have reached that tipping point and they didn't get the rest that uh, the way they need. I think the other thing that goes along with it is when a kid is so regimented in their training uh, for a particular sport, so parents push, push, push in that area, they fail to realize that sport is designed for fun. Absolutely. And, and, and it, once a player loses the desire or says this is not fun anymore, watch it in a few days, few months, a year or two, that they're going to quit that sport. Great. And that, I think that onus in a large part is on the coach to keep it fun. I've seen a lot of, you know, with my experience in college, I, I've been around college athletics for over 20 years. Uh, and I've seen a lot of Hall of Fame coaches, and I've seen a lot of coaches that probably should go to selling insurance. Uh, no, nothing negative about insurance. But my point is, a coach, you have to know when it's time to grind. And there is a time to grind. Right. Mm-hmm. There absolutely is. Mm-hmm. You have to know when there's a time to tweak, you know, fine-tune. You have to know when there's a time to build. And you also have to know when a time to step back, give these kids a break, Give them a mental pause, which I'm a big believer in mental pauses. Mm-hmm. You know, there's being bored every now and then right. is a good thing. But then ha- have fun. You know, make, yeah. do change up practice. We talked about be, uh, allowing an opportunity for free play free or creative play. Yeah. play. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. allow allow at times building into the practice schedule or competition schedule fun, so that, that these kids are refreshed and have a physical or mental break or reset. Mm-hmm. That's very good. And I think uh, we see that in the academy structure, right? So um, in the soccer academy structure, for example, Atlanta United this year implemented rugby on Wednesday nights where wow, the kids come in and they yeah. play rugby. Well, of course, the parent reaction was, why in the world are they having these kids play rugby on a Friday night? But they also implemented free play. So on like Thursday nights before practice, come in, the kids are able to set up their own sessions if they want to play small-sided games or if they want to play soccer tennis or if they want to do any sort of other activity, they can come in and do those activities, which encourages, right? It's encouraging that play. It's encouraging creativity uh, as well. And again, it makes the kids think about some other, you know, some other uh, things that they can do, right? And makes it fun. It makes Absolutely. practice fun when you know you're coming in to play rugby that night. Oh, or as my kind, yeah. it may not be so much but fun. But you still getting, there's condition benefits. There's condition there's benefits. There's team building benefits. Team building. There's chemistry benefits. Right. There's, you know, all kinds of benefits. I want to point this out and then we'll, we'll probably wrap up, but... Um, this is in the in the book as well when we talk about cross training and burnout prevention in particular. But I, I think it's important and very relevant here. Um, my re- during my research, I found out that there were two British Olympians in the 2021 British Olympic trials in London that posted their personal bests that included a new world record um, as a result, arguably, of incorporating cross training in the cross training in the mm-hmm. workouts. Stephanie Davis set a new personal record winning the women's marathon, while Beth Porter set a new triathlon world record. But there was an article in Runner's World um, in 2021 that neither athlete was a high-mileage runner. I mean, they were only running a few hours a week, but they were, they were using other cross-training things wow. just to prevent overuse right. and, and, um, and preventing burnout and keeping things fresh. So when they did focus on running, 
they were able to perform at a higher level level because they weren't they weren't so worn down from it. So, you know, again, when we talk about the grind, we talk about the hard work, you can achieve goals by doing things different. That's where we go back to creativity. Um, yes, you need to work hard. Yes, you, you need to be committed. Yes, you, some, at times you need to grind. But you can't do that all the time. That's the yeah. point. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the parent's role to help I don't want to say police, but but regulate some of that. Right. I think this is probably a topic we could go on and on it about. Uh, and it we'll is. probably do some more on this in future episodes. So, you know, uh, because it is something, especially in the United States, really plaguing, uh, you know, our elite athletes, getting parents, right? Getting parents to support and to unconditionally love is definitely going to be an important task yeah. for, for our counselors. So, uh, it, just to kind of a wrap up here, um, I think it's important that parents uplift and don't exacerbate their child. Uh, Colossians 3.21, the Bible says, Fathers, don't exacerbate your child, your children, so that they will not lose heart. And uh, so how, 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 do, how do young athletes lose heart? Uh, I think there's different ways that parents do this. And uh, we've talked about it today, but one is to demand something they can't accomplish. Maybe it's because of the age, you can't, they're not at a level and they think they, their, their kid is. But parents also compare uh, their children to other peers, which are their peers, and that's wrong. Um, and punishing them for failing physically or emotionally. Um, and then uh, regularly criticizing or, like you said, lo- linking the love and approval to Ooh, performance. Just as a point there, we didn't really cover that regularly criticizing. But uh, words have an impact yes. on brain development. And so what parents don't understand is constant negative critique actually changes the uh, brain functioning, the That's communication correct. of the child's brain in a negative manner, yeah. not a positive. Constant right. negative uh, feedback. Yeah, I, you know, and again, I'm not a perfect parent by any stretch of the imagination. My, not kids, kids. my kids will definitely take it. <laughs> but I've, I've tried it. If I ever give feedback, it's more so, or critical feedback, it would be more so on effort. Effort, you know, versus outcome. Mm-hmm. Because you can, you really can control the amount of effort. That's, that's solely based on mm-hmm. a decision you make. Mm-hmm. Your, your performance, there's a lot more factors involved. Right. Right? But effort, with our family, it's, listen, if you're going to do it, you gotta, you got to give your best effort. A lot of suggestion is after a game, a meet, whatever, rather than asking, rather than going into the car and telling a player what they didn't do well or even asking them, because some parents will say, what do you think you did wrong today? That's not the question to ask. It's one, assess how they're feeling. How are you feeling? Right? right? right. How are you feeling? And then as the conversation proceeds, um, you are praising them for their effort, right? Or asking them, did you do you feel you gave you know full effort today? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's one way of driving it away from just performance measures. Just and from wait the wins. twenty four hours or twelve hours before you yes. criticize it all. Yes, and there should be two pluses for every one minus, in my opinion. But that's hard. I mean, let's just be honest. What we just talked about for a parent <laughs> who's emotionally Invested. intertwined and invested, yeah. it is difficult. It's been difficult for me. Trust me. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. As I said, we will continue this particular topic. And I think the other thing that Rick was going to mention, I think we'll leave it with this. Um, Above all, don't link love 
with approval on a child's performance. So remember yes. to unconditionally love your child through this process. Thank you.